Welcome back to Koei's Questions, where I question life, current events, and pretty much anything that doesn't make sense to me. And I try not to laugh the entire time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all are hanging out with us again this week. So today we have special guests with us to talk about designing puppets, puppeteering, and all things puppetry. I'm so excited to introduce Eric, and I'm so glad you're here today. Hi, thanks for having me. There's so much I want to learn. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> me too. I'm full of answers. So I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of fangirling your job right now since I just think it is like the in the top 10 <laughs> coolest jobs of all time. So instead of like some super long like introduction, anything where I make you answer the most boring stuff, let's just like get right into talking about puppets. Let's get right to it. Yeah, man. It's my favorite subject. All right, let's get to how you got there. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, the base stuff, where you're from, how old you are, yeah. how you got into puppeteering, like I, or puppetry, I guess I should say, but I, I'm really curious. So I am originally from Lincoln, Nebraska, um, although I was born in Galveston. I only lived for, there a couple of years and grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, I am now, just now, 39. I just had a birthday last, uh, last weekend. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I went to school at Sarah Lawrence College, graduated in 2003, and I have been working as a professional puppeteer ever since. When did you first fall in love with puppetry and puppeteering? Like, was it just one day you woke up and you're like, this is what I'm doing? Or was that a gradual thing? How, <laughs> how did it happen? Well, I feel like I had fallen in love with puppet characters at a very young age. You know, I grew up with Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and The Muppet Show like many people in this country and loved all of the characters and the storytelling. And like, I loved the comedy of the Muppet show. Like it just is so good. I didn't really fall in love with the art form until a little later until um, probably middle school or high school. I'd say that that really started to, to take shape. I saw Jurassic park in night when it came out in 93 and I was just obsessed with the behind the scenes um, you know, animatronics and what we call practical effects. And the fact that they made these giant robot dinosaurs, I was like, that's awesome. And I just totally poured into the uh, behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. I was always, I, I was the kind of kid that never wanted to decide on one thing to do when I was growing up. So like first thing I ever wanted to be was an inventor. And then I started, uh, and then I, I wanted to be a scientist because my dad is a big science buff and as a doctor and. Okay. So I, I was really into science. And then I picked up the oboe in elementary school and played that. So I was in the orchestra and like wanted to do instrumental music. And then I got into the theater in like middle school when my mom like saw that this outspoken middle child was like needing an outlet for his energy. And so she was like, you're going to theater camp. <laughs> <laughs> and so I loved all, I loved doing all of these things and I loved learning. And I, I you know, I, I like just soaking up all this information and I never wanted to give any of that up in high school they're like okay what do you want to be like which thing do you want to be I, I had a really hard time deciding one thing but I was getting into the I was like really interested in special effects at the time and and I had seen this one special called uh, the Muppets explain the Muppets or Muppets behind the Muppets something like that it was a Jim Henson hour mm -hmm. and it just totally changed my life because I was you know they show you all of the tricks and like all of the magic was one of the many behind the scenes things that I was into. And this was about 
these crazy characters and this really fun environment and this creative atmosphere of the Muppets. And I was just hooked. And I sort of remember realizing that if I decided to become a puppeteer, then I could do everything that I like doing and never give any of it up. So that sort of in, helped me inform inform what college I went to. Like Sarah Lawrence College, you don't have to decide a, a major. You can just study a bunch of subjects. And one of those things that I studied was puppetry with a guy named Dan Herlin. When I studied with him, I was introduced to the sort of puppetry community at large. And that was that was like the final piece of the puzzle because puppeteers and like the puppetry community is one of the most collaborative and supportive and creative and just amazing groups of people to work with. And I was like, well, that's it. Those are the people I want to be around. And I can be a part of this and like I can do all the things I like to do. So like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Okay. So we're just going to step back a second here. You don't have to pick a major at Sarah Lawrence. Yeah. Well, it's one of those liberal arts colleges where they just have constant, like you take sub, you take classes and things you think are interesting. And then at the end of your four years, whatever you took the most in that ends up being your concentration um, instead of a major, which is kind of, I think kind of great. You, That's super cool. Yeah. I took like 20th century physics classes and I took uh, alongside theater classes, alongside sociology classes and, you know, biology and society classes. Like it was perfect for me. And it doesn't work for everybody, but it was a really good setup for, for what I was into. I feel like it would have made me look like I had my life a little more together if I wouldn't have to declare majors <laughs> and change them so much. I mean, that's I really think cool. It's kind of, I think it's kind of a great setup because who knows at 18, like, I sure how, didn't know. Shit. How were you supposed to decide, you know, like, yeah. yeah. I didn't know shit about shit at 18. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's just like, I, I feel like can just, go learn about what you're interested in and go study with the people who are teaching it. Like, I don't know the the whole major thing. I, you know, growing up in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's a big, it's a big university town. And I was, that never really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to a much smaller school where there was much more, there's a lot more flexibility, but it's also a lot more de- because there's less structure. It's way more dependent on your own like self-motivation which can be really tough for a lot of people. And I really had to work on that to, to be successful at, at that school. Yeah, that's really cool. I wish I would have known mm-hmm. that a long time ago. <laughs> that's really cool. So people are mean in general. People suck sometimes. <laughs> so how do you respond to people that have an attitude, I mean, for lack of better words, about puppets? Like, oh, they're for kids or that's weird. Or how do you respond to that? Well... That's an interesting question. I I'm not sure I agree with the the premise that people well, are mean. They but be. certainly people have said that in a mean way. Mm-hmm. And people have also said it in not a mean way. I think mo- most people just don't know a lot about puppetry. So like I I can't fault them if they think it's only one thing. If they are mean to me about it, then that's one thing, but if they are genuinely curious, then I'm happy to to talk to them about it. I don't know. You know, puppetry being for kids is really something that's only in this country. And I guess it's in Western culture. Western culture puppetry is for kids. It's a it's kind of a curious quirk of the art form. Most other cultures that have a tradition of puppetry, it's often strictly for adults. It just has to do with, I think, what kind of puppetry gets the most exposure. And in this country, especially when Jim Henson developed a new form of puppetry for 
a new, you know, a new medium of television, um, that got a huge range of exposure. And Sesame Street especially had a huge impact. People were able to see it because they were watching it with their kids. And so that's what they saw. That's what they sort of thought puppets were. But there's so much more. And it's really exciting to talk to people about it. It's it's funny, like most people, when you get talking to them about puppetry, they're like, oh, so that's a puppet? Oh, wait, that thing is a puppet too? Oh, so this is puppetry. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I think it's fine. And when you say that most of the puppetry in other places are for adults, is that just like for adults or is that like for adults? You know what I mean? Oh, well, that's also kind of an interesting distinction, too, because when you say like something is adult theater here in the States, that's like raunchy theater, right? Mm -hmm. Naked theater. But in other places, like, for instance, the shadow puppetry tradition in Bali is much more of like a religious tradition and would be just for people who could understand high religious concepts. There's a shadow puppetry tradition in Greece of these two characters, uh, Karagots and Hatsuvat, that are like kind of rowdy. They're like kind of, it's kind of like Punch and Judy, but if there, if it was like Punch, if there was Punch was two best friends, two best guy friends. And that was exclusively done in, I'm sorry, it wasn't Greece, it was uh, Turkey, in, in Turkish coffee shops that were men, adult men only. Mm-hmm. And like this was their form of entertainment. So it it kind of runs the gamut. In Japan, the the Bunraku Theater of Japan, some of their finest, you know, historical theater is puppet theater. And, you know, a lot of times the the playwright that's credited as like kind of the Shakespeare of Japan wrote exclusively for the puppet theater. Okay. On that like same note, do you ever get it where People act like you don't have a real job because you're not a doctor or a lawyer. Are they kind of like dismissive <laughs> of your job? Sure. But, you know, I think that that reveals a lot about what they value more than it reveals about what I'm doing with my life, you know? Absolutely. If what they value is like a, a lot of money all the time, then that makes sense that they wouldn't think that an arts job in this country is a real job. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to some extent, like it, it's a different track. There's a it's a totally different track, and the arts arts jobs in this country certainly have a harder time garnering support and have fewer models and fewer tracks for how you get to other things that might be of value, like a really stable income all the time, or like a really clear path for achievement, how to start at one place and then work your way up the ladder. Like there really isn't that model in the arts and puppetry is no different. Okay. And just to clarify, I'm not saying you don't have a real job. Like I already said, I'm super (laughs) jealous of it. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. No, No, it's true. But like, you know, again, like people can say it in a mean way and then people can also say it in like, are you sure this is going to be like, are you sure you're going to be okay with this? (laughs) And I think that's That's when you just drive your Lambo to the doctor's office and be like, (laughs) who makes more money now? Exactly. Broadway. Exactly. (laughs) So I, I know we talk about puppetry. So one of the things I'm curious about, especially when we, like you brought up Broadway. Yeah. How do you get into puppet designing? Yeah. How did you turn your passion into a career? Like, like was that easy to go like, I'm going to design an $800,000 puppet for Broadway? <laughs> you know, and then drive away from the show in your Bugatti. Well, I'm, still work- I'm still working on that uh, particular goal. Um, oh, just a Ferrari. Okay. How- oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> Is it easy to turn your passion into a career? I think it's, okay, I think it's as easy as saying to yourself, hey, this is the thing I love, and now I'm going to make a career out of that, which is to say, it's not easy at all. Not at all. (laughs) 
but it, you know, like who can say that about them? Like not many people can say that about themselves where they say like, this is the thing that I love to do. And so this is what I'm going to do for my career. I think a lot of people pick their jobs because it supports other things that they really love to do, like building a family or being with friends or like traveling or like other things. But if you're like, hey, this is going to be the thing that also pays my bills and like also brings an income, like that's an incredibly difficult thing to do for anybody. For me, I really, I mean, I really benefited from having a ton of support from parents that were super supportive and like didn't bat an eye when I said, I'm going to be a puppeteer. They were like, yeah, this kid can do <laughs> what he says he's going to do. So like, if he says he's going to be a puppeteer, he'll figure it out to like the puppetry community being super supportive of each other and just bringing in people and wanting to work with other people and like being, being supportive to just like, you know, you surround yourself with people that, that make you better. And that really, that really helps because you can't do it. Nobody can do it on their own. But to answer your first question, how do you become a puppet designer? Some of it is that you just say, I'm going to try this out and see how it goes. I'm going to try being a puppet designer. For me, I was like, oh, I love puppets. I'm going to see if I can make some. How would I make some if I wanted to? Because I want to perform with some. So I'm going to need a puppet in order to perform. So like, I'll just make something and then we'll see how that goes. And I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I'm always tinkering with stuff. I love building things and I love testing things. And like, I like to draw and I like to design things. So that all fed on itself. And then I would have a thing to perform with. And because it was a puppet, like people would notice a little bit more. And like that all fed itself too. You know, that that all really worked out. And then the other part of it is, is that if you want to become a puppet designer, like you do your homework, look at what other puppeteers have done, what other puppet designers have done. You like go to where they are, you hang out with them or you like try and connect with other people who are doing what you are doing. And then I think the other thing is that you bring something to the table. Like if you want to be a puppet designer, then like bring in an idea, find out what other people are doing, find out what other people have done, but like bring your own voice to the table. I think that's it. Like stand out and be different. Don't be like a copy with that. I don't I don't even know if it's about standing out and being different. I I think there's a lot to be said, especially if you're starting. I think there's a lot to be said for copy. Really? And well, it's like if you're learning to draw, I think it's good to, to trace sometimes. Absolutely. Like I think it's a good way to just learn how to move the pencil in your hand and like to sort of see where the shapes are emerging in these characters that you know and love. And first you do by imitation. And then you say, okay, well, this is what I would do if I was doing it. This is how I would do it different. And it's not that you are trying to do something that stands out above the rest or trying to do something that's going to garner a lot of attention. But I think it really is about doing something that you connect with personally, mm -hmm. because that's unique. That, that by definition is unique. Nobody else can do what you are most interested in. And that is really exciting for people to see. This is an art form where you can express yourself. Like, just, you know, bring some, like, bring, bring some ideas. Let be a part of the conversation. Like, that's super important. Okay. And then what all goes into designing a puppet? Like from the ground up, how do you take it from imagination to sitting in front of you? <laughs> There's a lot of steps. There's a lot of like uh, testing and iterating, I guess you would call it. So the first thing that I do when I'm setting out to create a puppet character is that I start with a character design. 
if you have a really strong character, that's going to really inform all of your decisions later on down the line. So these are tricks that you could learn in acting class about building a character. You know, what are their motivations? How do they move? How old are they? Like their relationship to other characters. These are all the things you want to try and figure out as much as you can. For a puppet, because it's a visual character, you want to really focus on uh, movement and visuals. But, you know, those all those things are important. So I try and get as many of those things down as I can. I draw a lot of sketches. I'm a really impatient artist, <laughs> so I like draw a lot of things really quickly, knowing that I'm going to throw away 80% of what I make. Oh, right? Yeah. I just like try and get it out because I know that the right thing is like somewhere in there. I don't try and just draw the perfect thing right away because then I just get stuck as soon as I hit a, a roadblock. Right. So I draw and draw and draw. And then I have a really good character. And then I try and switch. Then you sort of switch into the a little more practical part of your brain about how are you going to turn this character into a three-dimensional object that exists in space, but more importantly, exists in a particular production, right? This is a super important part of designing a puppet is that they only exist in a particular space, part of a particular medium. So if it's going to be a theatrical puppet, that's going to really inform the decisions you make in, in how you build it, as opposed to if it's a puppet for close-ups on 4K video, you're going to build that puppet totally different. So you want to think about the entire production when you design a puppet. And that could be how much of the body you need to build, whether you need to build like multiples of a particular body part. Like a lot of TV puppets will only be built from the waist up, and then they will have separate legs that they use just for, you know, feet on the ground shots, which is great. You can do that in, in television or on camera. And so then you start thinking about what materials you're going to use, you start thinking about what size it's going to be and the relationship to the puppeteer. I like to think about that for as little time as possible. <laughs> like until I have, again, like us, until I feel like I have a handle on it, but I try to get out of my notebook real as, as quickly as I can into making something. Um, again, like I can spend forever trying to figure out the thing on paper and that just isn't how I work. I know some people like can really do design on the computer or really do design in on a piece of paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just can't I can't know all of the things that are going all the issues that are going to come up or all of the I can't know what all the surprises are going to be from having a three-dimensional object. So, I try I build it first. I usually say that a good puppet is built 3 times before it is presentable. So the first time you build it in just like garbage materials, you build it out of crumpled paper and tape and like trash bags and like and like dowels and string. You just get a sense of how big it is and where the puppeteer goes and, you know, what parts move and what parts don't move. That's it. And then once you have that, then you can go and you can build it again in like in materials that are similar to the final version. So if it's going to be a stretchy fabric, you can put some white spandex that you have a big, you know, lots and lots of yardage of. That's not very expensive. You can build it in reasonable materials. And then when you know about what it's going to be made out of, then you can build it in the final materials and kind of you're tweaking a little bit, tweaking designs a little bit along the way. And then you have a final version. But again, it's not finished. It's just prevent presentable. <laughs> it's just like that's just the thing that will get you to the opening night or the, that's just the thing that'll get you to the first shot. Um, puppets are always in need of repair and always in need of updating and always need in need of adjusting and fitting. 
like to to deliver the performance that that is needed for the show. They're really just tools of performance. So if they're getting in the performer's way, if they're getting in the puppeteer's way, or if they're getting in the way of the story, or like if something isn't durable enough, or if something needs repair, like they should be fixed, like they should be changed. How they are built should be adjusted along the way. Okay, so what kind of materials are you using like for your final puppet? Like, is it just fabric? Or is it like some fancy fabric? Or what? what is it? <laughs> It's only the finest, fanciest <laughs> <of> fabric. <laughs> uh, oftentimes it is really fancy fabric, but I'll be honest, I've built puppets out of everything. That's a double-edged sword for me because I look at materials and objects and, and I see all the possibilities, right, of like this thing, this is just white cardboard, but it could be this incredible thing. Or this is a, you know, I walk into the hardware store and my, my brain goes crazy. Like I see all these things that move or like these things that could be combined together. And like I've made puppets out of just things that I found at the hardware store. That is so cool. I'm so glad somebody else does that too. Cause I could see stuff and I'm like, Oh, I can make something cool out of this. And everybody's like, Courtney, that's a slinky. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my gosh. Of course. It's like the sky's the limit. The other side of the sword is that at my worst, I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel every single time. And it's just like, ugh, I just want to build the same thing twice. But having that wide range of possibilities is too exciting for me. So I have built puppets out of, you know, like what you would see on TV, like fleece and fur. And, you know, they have an understructure that's for different kinds of foam. Some of it's like the kind of foam that you make a flip flop out of. Some of it's the kind of foam that you have in your couch cushions. And some of it's like the stuff that's in a teddy bear. I've made puppets that have wood and aluminum and some that have steel and puppets that have I don't know, just anything you can imagine. Like it's all part of it. And that's also what's really exciting about puppet design is that the material choices that you make can be a part of the storytelling. We did a show at the Bushwick Star that was an adaptation of Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale, which is about a soldier coming home from war who meets the devil and trades his violin for a book, right? And this book is like a major theme in this show. And so we built a puppet where we carved some foam. My old business partner, Emily DeCola, carved some uh, like insulation foam for the head. And then instead of just regular paper mache, we used pages of a book. So there was like little lines of text from a far away. You probably wouldn't pick up on it. But if you did, if you like caught that little detail, it's like a little Easter egg. The importance of the book is seeping into every part of this show. That is so cool. It's very cool. Like I've, it's like such an exciting. <laughs> there's so many. There's that's the whole. There's a whole world. There's so many exciting possibilities. <laughs> I feel like a little five year old right now. I'm like that is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> that is the right feeling. We should be chasing that feeling all the time. You know. Yeah, I'm a very like creative, like to make stuff artistic kind of person. Jay, not so much. So he's like, yeah, Courtney, this is exciting, <laughs> but it's not that exciting. <laughs> I bet Jay is more creative than anything. I bet he's got an artistic side that he doesn't even realize. But I bet he's pretty creative because I, you know, I have two brothers and my older brother is a civil engineer and like works in local city government. And my younger brother is a doctor in an emergency room. And neither of those you would particularly categorize as creative roles, but they are two of the most creative people that I know. Like we are definitely cut from the same cloth. And it's the way in which we use our creativity, like the expression of our creativity that's different. And that that is super exciting to me. One, I definitely am more creative than she gives me credit for. <laughs> I am a co-host on a podcast. Thank you. Uh, I mean, hello. No, no. Like we talked about like Jurassic Park. Like, yeah, really, you think I don't like Jurassic Park? 
I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going to get with Eric and we're going to build a big dinosaur and I'm going to chase you around the house with it. Uh, don't tease me, man. That is a dream. That's really not fair. That sounds way fun. <laughs> You're the one being chased. We can all take turns on the dinosaur, on dinosaur duty, okay? Where do I sign? T-Rex on Broadway. Uh, I mean, stranger stranger things have happened, man. Oh, we're about to get into this. So so I know we're talking, and you've mentioned a couple of different ones, and some of them I've never heard because yeah. everyone thinks there's like three kinds of puppets, sock puppets, mm-hmm. Jim Henson's creations, mm-hmm. and then like some hybrid in between. Like mm-hmm. sometimes animatronics people think of, but I, I know there's at least like, I don't know, I think, seven or eight that I never even knew existed. So mm-hmm. I guess my question becomes how many styles are there What and what's unique about them? And then when we talk about all that, which one is your favorite? That's a good question. Okay. Let's see. Let's see what we can name. I think, I don't know. There's like a dozen different styles. So let's see. There's uh, hand puppets and uh, maybe I'll give an example for like each one. Right. Perfect. So hand puppets are, uh, what you might see on Mr. Rogers, right? Like it's a little hand puppet. Um, there's finger puppets, totally valid form of puppetry. I don't know if I need to explain what a finger puppet is. It's a little, it's like, a, imagine a tiny sock puppet that just covers your finger and with no mouth. There's, so like Jim Henson style puppets or Muppet style or TV style or camera style or like, that is actually kind of, uh, it's kind of like an upgraded version of a, of a sock puppet. Like it's a really fancy sock in some ways. So like Kermit is is what's known as a hand and rod puppet because he has two little rods coming off of his hands uh, and one hand in the uh, in the character's uh, head that operates the mouth. There are also Jim Henson style puppets that are called live hand puppets, which is like Ernie or um, Oscar or um, Cookie Monster, where one person operates the puppet's head and left hand, and a second person operates the puppet's right hand. And those two people work in concert to make this character come alive. There's uh, marionettes, which is puppets, a puppet on a string. So like Howdy Doody, for our older listeners, would be an example of a marionette. Um, Team America, for our slightly younger listeners. Great puppets. I yeah. think that made, that made puppeteering famous, for sure. <laughs> There's rod puppets, which are, I mean, it's, again, like we're getting into the less creative categories for the puppets. It's like a rod puppet is a puppet on a on a stick or like can either come from below or from above. There are a Sicilian marionettes that have like a rod going into the head and then a couple of strings. Like Czech marionettes have uh, a, he- a rod going into the head. There's uh, shadow puppets, which can either be like a fancy cutout on a screen, or there's a really great company in Chicago called Manual Cinema that does uh, shadow puppets on a series of old school overhead projectors. And then they stand in front of the screen that that's projecting on and they interact with the shadows and they like combine live, the, like they mix it live uh, with other video feeds. Like it's pretty incredible. So like shadow puppets, there's costume characters I would consider puppetry. It's just like the puppet is the size of a person. So a costume character would be the Philly Fanatic. How about that? Or Gritty. He's much more popular these days. There's large scale puppets that are like more than one person operating the puppet at any one time. There's a company called Bread and Puppet Theater that used to do these big parade circuses uh, out in the open. It was sort of like the predecessor to Burning Man almost. Um, they would have huge puppets that would take 20 people to operate, you know, a giant head and huge sprawling arms from Mother Earth. And it's really amazing. So large scale puppets, 
Um, there's animatronic puppets like we've talked about with T the T-Rex for the original Jurassic Park that are like kind of radio controlled or cable controlled. There's Toy Theater, which is kind of the Victorian version of Nintendo. <laughs> it was like books of fancy like cardstock printouts that you would punch. It was like paper dolls, but for a, a whole theater, you'd build the whole theater on your tabletop and the little puppets were like two inches tall and you'd like slide them around on the theater stage and, and read the play that came with the book, Toy Theater. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I'm getting a little bit of a Dungeons and Dragon, like Dungeons and Dragons. Is, is that kind yeah. of, would that be almost this, that kind of thing for that? Well, that's you're getting into the question of like what is a puppet, which is a very good question. So wait, I can think of a couple more. I can think of a couple more styles. There's found object puppetry, which is where you take existing objects and you put them next to each other in in like the juxtaposition of objects is what helps tell the story. I'm not sure there's a good example of that. Paul Zaloom, who played Beekman on Beekman's World, that science TV show way back in the day, he does a lot of found object puppet theater. There's the one style of puppetry that I have not yet done, which is Vietnamese water puppetry, uh, which is a really cool form of rod puppetry where the rods go parallel to the ground, away from the puppeteer. The show is performed in a pool of water with a curtain in the middle. And the performers are on one side of the curtain and the puppets are on the other side of the curtain and the puppets kind of float in the water. And they like do all these cool tricks and there's like fire breathing dragons and they jump in and out of the water. And it's like, it's kind of incredible. I need, to, I need to see that. I know, right? So, oh, and there's direct manipulation or tabletop or like the bunraku style puppetry of Japan, which is also kind of like a, a rod puppet, but it's very short rods. Like you're either grabbing the figure directly with your hands or there's like very short rods to help you manipulate the character. And you, you, they're usually built from head to toe and you see the whole puppet as well as the puppeteer. Yeah, I can think of 12 different 13 different styles, but there's lots of gray areas, especially in this country or like in America and, and London, lots of different mixing and matching of styles, a lot of different blending of elements. Th this is what I love to do, which is sort of picking and choosing elements from all different techniques and creating a thing like that is specific to that production character, like the right puppet for that show. And you're, you know, you, Jay, you bring up a question that's like, what is is Dungeons and Dragons like do moving characters around on the board? Like, does that constitute puppetry? Like, I think in some ways it's in the same family. I think the key elements for for defining like what a puppet is is that you have to have a performer, uh, you have to have an audience, and you are focusing on the object in between you to tell the story. And the performer is manipulating that object in some way to tell the story. Yeah, because it's definitely one of those things like you talked about, like sometimes it's short rod or direct manipulation. And like mm -hmm. my mind went to like tabletop games. Like it may, it's not a pre-written plague. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an ad lib, but it's like one of those, like, is it that same kind of passion of mm -hmm. I want to tell a story with these things. And I just never thought about how something that you think is on the other end of, you know, production puppetry, like, Oh, hey, like I have this little like character of an elf and now it's doing stuff like you're doing things. <laughs> exactly. One of my favorite shows that I ever saw was this company called Tiny Ninja Theater. <laughs> and they they did um, the Scottish play with little plastic ninjas that you would get out of like a gumball machine. And he had hundreds of them. And it was a tiny little like two foot by two foot table. And he would just move these little ninjas around and like put them next to each other 
and like he had a pile of them and one of them standing on top of him for like this pile of dead bodies and like a one character standing at the top at the end of it. And he would just point to the character that was speaking and then he would speak for the character and it worked beautifully. It was just an amazing piece of theater. There was no fancy puppet that was built. There was no movement inherent in each character. It was just moving these characters around the table and like telling a story through these objects. And it was so good. I, I want to do this now so badly. I'm going to have to go out and find a bag of ninjas and just, <laughs> I'm going to write a movie. <laughs> I mean, the water's warm, Jay. It's uh... Table Ninjas 3. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh uh. my goodness, Jay. <laughs> What kind of puppet is your favorite out of all those oh, different right. kinds, though? Um, that's a good question. I got totally distracted um, by Table Ninjas. Obviously, Table Ninjas is his favorite. <laughs> I mean, I've, uh, I think Direct Manipulation is my favorite. I used to be a big fan of marionettes, and I've done a lot more work in Direct Manipulation uh, nowadays. And I really like the immediacy and the versatility of that style. You can, like... The quality of movement is really great and the ability to interact, like the ability to play in standard the theatrical spaces is really exciting to me because I, you know, trained as an actor first, really, and performing in the theater is really my first love. So I think I like that one the best. That's so cool. What are some of the coolest things you've gotten to do because of puppets? Oh my gosh. Besides working with puppets as my job. <laughs> right. Besides the coolest job ever. I get to work with some really incredible people and I get to travel to some really cool places for my job. Recently I did, <laughs> I did the Paris fashion show for Tom Brown. I designed a uh, two person unicorn puppet for Paris fashion week. Stop it. They had a puppet at fashion week. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom cool. Brown. It was like the, it was like the final image of his runway show that year and it was at the hotel it was at the hotel de vie in paris so i flew this unicorn puppet out to paris and like finished it in in like the hallways of the hotel de vie like gold leafing its hooves and its horn like and then worked with the models like model models that they hired to operate the puppet to train them on how to, to to work it it was these two you know sweet young young guys uh who are fashion models and it created this beautiful moment on the runway. And then they were like, we want to do more with this unicorn. What can we do? We've got this camera crew. What, what can we, what more can we do? I was like, well, well, my girlfriend was like looking out the window. She was like, um, you know, the Notre Dame Cathedral is right across the river. And they were like, oh, iconic, let's go. So we walked a unicorn puppet through the streets of Paris to the Notre Dame Cathedral and like around the courtyard in front of Notre Dame getting, you know, all these photos and there were a big crowd gathered and it was, it was ridiculous and it was gorgeous. And it's like, it was a beautiful time. Jay is so excited right now. His eyeballs are like super big. He has no words. <laughs> I've done some cool things. I, you know, I've been in it for a little while, like I've, 2003, it's like 18, 17 years as a puppeteer now. I've done some cool stuff. I've been to the Edinburgh Festival, been to Australia. I've traveled all over this country performing and sending shows. One of the shows that I'm most proud of that my company, Puppet Kitchen, has done was we designed and built 24 huge puppets for the San Diego Zoo Centennial Celebration That's cool. um, a couple years ago. So we built um, a baby rhinoceros, two baby orangutans. We built 
11 flamingo backpack puppets. We built uh, seven 10 foot tall giraffe puppet backpack puppets. We built a condor with a 12 foot wingspan. We built a life-size Indian elephant that took four people to operate and a lion that was 12 feet tall and 15 feet long that took four people to operate. Okay. And <laughs> what is a backpack puppet? <laughs> so like imagine a backpack. Imagine like a hiking pack. Uh-huh. Instead of a bag uh, where you keep stuff, there's like a fabric with its own internal structure that goes up into the air of 10 feet, almost like a hoop skirt that's like mm-hmm. long and skinny. Uh, at the top of that, there's like a the interior of a, a caster that you might put underneath a table, right? So we took apart a caster because it has a nice swivel and nice like it's a good joint Mm -hmm. and we attach a wooden structure that supported this beautiful foam sculpture of a giraffe head and then coming down from that into the puppeteer's hands is a big long piece of steel conduit so you can like nod the giraffe heads up and down by moving the steel conduit like this control rod the backpack has two big pieces of cpvc pipe that's like Mm -hmm. more flexible than regular pvc so that's like the spine of the of the puppet and you can like bend the neck down and you can like walk around with a thing up 10 feet in the air and then you can like lean it way down and interact with a a little kid on the side of the path in the zoo and like have this amazing interaction that's like a, a backpack puppet. <laughs> okay. At first I was like picturing like puppet just chilling on your back. And I was like, well, that's a little weird, but okay. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, you know, like the flamingos kind of blend the line between where the puppet starts and where the puppeteer starts. That's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. How long does it take to make a life-size elephant puppet? Well, we, I mean, if we were just building it on its own, I don't know, a couple of months, I guess. I know we worked on that project for a year and a half. Okay, with all the different ones? Yeah, with all the different ones. There's no pattern for how to build any of these. I know we're in New York City, but you can't go down to like the puppet district and pick up a, an elephant pattern. Wait, hold on. Are you are you being smart here or is there actually a puppet district? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a district for most everything else, but there's no puppet district. I was like, listen, I haven't been to New York City yet, but I plan on going. <laughs> and if that's I'm the sorry. case, I was about to be like, hey, I'm in New York City and you're taking me to a puppet district. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sadly, no. Sadly, there's no puppet district. It's really just wherever me and my friends are. That's the puppet district. <laughs> okay, because I was about to have so many more questions. Like, whew. oh, I just imagine this late night. Like, hey, you looking for a puppet? Hey, <laughs> Welcome buddy. to New York. Hey, buddy, uh, you're you're looking for a puppet? Hey, what do you want? You want to marry in that? You want the strings on it, or you want direct manipulation? Huh? Oh, what do you want? Ah, forget it. Come on. I love it. <laughs> Jay and I are going to come to New York, I don't know when, at some point, and we're going to need to hang out with you, okay? (laughs) Yeah, we'll do the puppet tour. We'll do the puppet tour of New York. No problem. That sounds way fun. Before I read your intro form and everything else, I never knew there was anything like a national puppetry conference. I really didn't know that puppetry was like that big. What happens at those? What does it look like? What kind of cool stuff do y'all do there? Oh my gosh. So so that's the O'Neill National Puppetry Conference. It's at the O'Neill Theater Center in New London, Connecticut, and it, it it's not an overstatement to say that going to that conference changed my life. Like, I went there for the first time when I was 19. <laughs> Ooh, 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, and 
it was the first time that I was surrounded with everybody that was, was as interested or more interested in puppetry than me. And I was exposed to, they. I think they had a guest artist that year that was a Taiwanese hand puppeteer that had such incredible technique, like my mind was blown. It was It was incredible. So the National Puppetry Conference, it's an opportunity for puppeteers, often um, professional puppeteers, to get together and try new things in a supportive environment. It's really like, bring an idea, try it out. We will surround you with lots of people who know a lot about puppet stuff in varying levels of experience and disciplines of puppetry. And you'll be able to get feedback from them and just try stuff and like build community. And it was, it's great. I mean, I just can't emphasize it enough. I went there four years in a row after after my first year. Um, I went back just recently last year, not this current summer, but the summer before with my college puppetry teacher, Dan Herlin, the guy that got me into like the puppetry community and was his teacher's assistant for his guest artist residency there. But like they bring in puppet artists from all over the world and you can work on projects with them. You bring projects that you're interested in working on. They have master classes. I mean, it a little bit somewhere in between like a, a Comic-Con for puppets and a puppet summer camp. But it's also, I mean, it's, you know, a little on the small side, but it's it's such a cool experience and it's totally unique. It's the only real like puppet centered conference like that in the country. It's great. That's super cool. You ha- And then people with like all the different kinds of puppets go, or is it just like a specific type or is it just like puppeteers from all walks of puppetry? Yeah, it's all of the above. It's like, like that same year, that first year I went, I was saw this incredible hand puppet performer from Taiwan who was also there as a participant. Um, I also, like I was working with Martin Robinson in his group to do what was called puppet anarchy, where we were like exploring the boundaries of what puppetry could be. Martin Robinson is the guy that plays Snuffleupagus on Sesame Street. Oh my God, Snuffleupagus is my favorite. (laughs) Imagine going to a puppetry conference and getting to work with a guy that has worked on Sesame Street for like 30 years or more. And he's like experimenting with you on what puppetry can be. It is a dream. I mean, it is so cool. And they're there are people who are working in television and who are on Sesame Street. The conference itself was started by Jane Henson, Jim's wife, and a bunch of other puppeteers. So there's a there's a good like TV presence, but it was also started by um, I believe Rufus and Margot Rose, who are the creators of Howdy Doody. So there's like a real strong marionettes and like other kinds of stage performance uh, puppetry presence there. And I mean, it's incredible. It's an incredible experience. It's a great way to build community and to learn and to try new things and to just put it all out there. It's really cool. Do ventriloquists, do they use puppets? Is that the same thing? Or are they like in their own little club? Oh, yeah. You know, that's a good one. We totally missed that. So ventriloquism, I would say, isn't necessarily a different form of puppetry, but it is totally a skill that you develop with with your puppetry skill. So I kind of think of ventriloquism as the skill of throwing your voice or talking without moving your mouth. Uh, this is a skill which I have zero uh, ability at. <laughs> I'm not a ventriloquist by any sense of the word. People who study ventriloquism, like there's a, that that is a little bit more codified and like you can study how it works. There's a technique. There's a lot of resources on how to do that skill. There's also the puppetry aspect of it which is like how to operate a thing that is a that becomes a character and mm-hmm. then there's also the 
theater of it, which is how to portray a character on stage, but more importantly, like how to portray two characters on stage at the same time and like directing the audience's attention between the two characters on stage. And that's like not any particular puppetry skill. That's like theatrical skill. It's like guiding attention to what they're supposed to look at so that you can tell a clear story. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times, like if I'm speaking for a puppet and I'm visible, I try and make the puppet the m- much more interesting to look at than me. So, and it's not that hard to do. Like if a puppet <laughs> is moving around and talking to you, like you want to look at the puppet. And so I kind of rely on that. And sometimes people, if they can see me and they can like look at me and they're like, oh, I see your lips moving. Like, I don't try to, hi- like, I'm not trying to trick you. You know, it's not a magic trick. I'm not trying to fool you here. We're all in on the joke here. We're all in on the magic that this thing that's not alive is now alive. So like, if you see my my lips moving, I get it. Like you can see it, but isn't this puppet much more interesting to watch and doesn't have more interesting things to say? Like we can, I can kind of like divert attention back to the puppet because it's more interesting. Okay. And then are, do ventriloquists, do they go to this puppetry conference? I think there have been some ventriloquists that go to the to the National Puppetry Conference. I don't think they have a strong presence there. I think you know the ventriloquist community tends to center around where the ventrilo like the big ventriloquist performances are, which is like Vegas and L.A. and cruise ships. It's a li- and cruise ships, yeah. It, and so it's a slightly different circle of theatrical performance. Um, so it, there isn't a, a ton of overlap there, like you might find in New York, where there's people working on Broadway and uh, in the theater right next to people on Sesame Street and, you know, working in television. Okay. I just like imagine being at this super cool conference and then having some like smart aleck friend who's like a ventriloquist like making i don't know my shoe talk to me or something you know and that's where i was going with that (laughs) that's a definite possibility regardless of whether they consider themselves a ventriloquist or not uh if you go to this national puppetry conference something some object is going to talk to you (laughs) your friend is going to make some object talk to you that's almost a given that's where I was going with that. And then Jay thinks I was like being smart about a cruise ship. I wasn't. I actually saw – I went to on a cruise to Alaska with my cousin and my grandma last summer. And up until that point, I had never, ever been high in my life. And it is legal in Alaska. I was higher than probably Willie Nelson. Got it. And we went and watched a, branch, a ventriloquist with my 88-year-old grandma. <laughs> I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my entire life. I mean, I, that makes sense to me. That checks out. <laughs> that seems like the... Yeah. I mean, it was a good time. I 10 out of 10 recommend it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I said, oh, cruise ships, because I remember No, that cruise ships time. is totally true. I think, you know, the other place, um, people that perform on cruise ships, you often see one of my favorite marionette performers is, um, is on Cruise Ships Alive. His name's Philip Huber. And I think he's probably the best marionette performer in this country uh, that's working today. He, he's the guy that did the puppets for being John Malkovich and he does cabaret marionettes. He does like this variety show with these marionette puppets and it is exquisite. Like the work that he does is it just incredible. And he does the majority of his work on cruise ships. It's really, really cool. That, that is cool. Yeah. So, so you, we, we've, we've talked about cruise ships and Courtney's, yep. uh, sail across the moon. Yep. But uh, how how prevalent is puppetry in, in large name productions? Like, is it a staple of Broadway and TV? Is it just a huge thing that people just don't realize is there mm-hmm. every day? 
I, I don't know. I don't know that it's so look, I sort of see puppetry as a tool for per- performance, right? It's a it's a tool that you can use in any any production um, to communicate your your story or to create your characters. I don't know if that tool gets used enough to call it a staple of the- theatrical performance. Uh, like project projection design is becoming a staple of theatrical performances and big name shows. I think there are lots of puppet elements that are used in theater or big name shows all the time. Like whether it's a uh, a particularly uh, fanciful costume that sort of tends towards puppetry or whether it's a piece of a set that gets manipulated to have a character or whether it's, you know, like it's a prop that's like, like tending more towards a puppet. It's one of the tools in the toolbox. And I, I think when it's used and when it's used well, like to do the thing that it does really well, then it, it can it can just change your life. Um, I think it's funny. I feel like every 10 years or so, there's a show or production that comes out that kind of crops up in people's minds. is like, oh, that's puppets. So when I was starting out, it was Being John Malkovich. And everyone, when I said I was a puppeteer, everyone was like, oh, have you seen Being John Malkovich? Uh, and then, well, I guess right before that was The Lion King, where people were like, oh, look at these cool, different looking puppets that are in this show. Wait, there's puppets in The Lion King? Yeah, in the, in the Broadway production. Oh, okay. I'm like okay. thinking like the Not new the movie that just came out and I had, I was like, wait, I need to rewatch I mean, that. It also depends on how you define it. Like some of this, the way that they make CG characters these days is very puppet-like and just the distance between performer and, and, and audience is very distant. Mm-hmm. But like they build those CG characters with like bones and, and like musculature and they like skin them. And it's like very similar to building it in real life. It's just in the computer. Anyway, that's a, dig- that, that, that I digress. Right. Every couple of years, you know, like War Horse on Broadway came out and that had these incredible puppets that people are like, oh, my gosh, I never knew puppets could be this expressive or amazing. King Kong on Broadway has this is all about this huge life size King Kong puppet. Like, it's really cool. I kind of love how there's it kind of goes in this cycle where people are like, oh, I don't know, puppets, are, they're kind of on the way out, aren't they? And then something else will crop up and and catch the catch the public's attention and, and sort of redefine what puppetry can be. It's really kind of exciting. I think it's super exciting. And I feel like I've just like missed out on so much life because I've never been to, well, I've been to the airport in New York City. That's it. I feel like I just need to go watch all the Broadway stuff. I, I mean, that's a good start. Um, uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's being, that's being put online these days, um, which is pretty cool. So there's a lot of, I mean, we have in, incredible resources at our fingertips. There's nothing quite like seeing a puppet live. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. it's a really magical experience done well. It's it's transcendent, especially when you're in the theater, like you are believing with this huge group of people that this thing is alive. You're sharing this belief that couldn't be more distant from reality, like this thing that isn't alive. We all agree that it's not alive. We're not losing that belief, but we are adding on top of that that Mm -hmm. it's alive now. And we are all playing together in this space. What a great feeling that is. However, there's so much to see on YouTube. There's so much to see when they put Broadway shows online. There's so much puppetry that is made for the screen. I mean, there's so much to discover. Like the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance just came out. That's all puppets. There's green screen tricks and they're like hiding puppeteers using camera tricks and stuff like that. But there's like little CGI moments that are adding to the overall look. But all the characters are, are puppets. Like all of the stuff that you're relying on for the storytelling, that's all practical. I mean, Baby Yoda. Hello. <laughs> like, hello, Baby Yoda's our, our new puppet of the time, right? Everybody's going crazy because 
having Baby Yoda be a real puppet on set, you were able to get completely different performances out of everyone else on on set. Not just the actors on stage, but the crew was affected by it. Everyone who visited set was affected by this puppet. And that changes things. That has a real impact. You know, it makes me hopeful that like, there's lots and lots of development in CG and it's all great, but like, there's just nothing like being there with a really good puppet. So especially since you bring up Baby Yoda, I know anyone yeah. who watched The Mandalorian loves Baby Yoda. Yeah. Do you think that puppetry is a, an overlooked aspect of the entertainment industry? Like, I mean, it's funny because in, in some ways, puppetry's goal is to make you forget, right? I mean, not it's not, again, it's like not a trick, but you're supposed to forget that there's a person attached to that puppet. You're supposed to believe that Kermit the Frog is a real character that really lives in that movie. You also know that it's not, but I think the side effect of this art form that is about the magic of pouring yourself into a story or like to a show is a, is about, you know, sort of making you forget that it's there. When you when it's really good, you're hiding your work, right? So is it overlooked? I don't know. I think I would rather have less puppetry that is done really, really well and done only when it really suits the story and when it's utilizing the medium really well uh, than to have lots and lots of poorly done puppetry. But I would say that about any medium as well. Like I'd say the same about musical theater. Great musical theater will change your life and bad musical theater is terrible. (laughs) It's really, it's the same with puppetry. It's the same with puppetry. (laughs) There's some really bad puppetry out there. I'm not going to lie, but that's okay. Like everybody starts somewhere, right? <laughs> well, everybody starts somewhere, but like everybody has different goals and like everybody has different things that they're trying to do. There's also lots of bad paintings. Like this it's just it's a medium, right? Right. And there will always be more bad stuff than good stuff, but the good stuff will change your life. Like it will make it all worthwhile. For me, even seeing stuff that like isn't the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like there's usually some nugget of joy in there. That's really amazing. And there's some, some beautiful piece that I can connect to that. That's usually what I look for. Um, I love how much we can just hear your passion, just talking to you about it, your passion for it. That is my favorite (laughs) thing when we interview people is just seeing how excited people get about things. I just love the passion that you have for it. I really do. <laughs> well, I'd be a pretty sad. I'd be a pretty sad person if I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm a puppeteer, I guess. I make puppets and I, shit. You I know, guess. I just, yeah, just I'm really just in it for the money. So <laughs> I, I just, I just slog through it so that I can, I can practice my surgery on the side. That's really. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to say that to somebody in public, like dead ass serious, sometime, okay? And then let us know how it goes. <laughs> Only in the puppet district. All right. It's so funny. People are like. People are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you, you got to be in it for the love. And I'm like, I, I want my surgeon to be in it for the love, too. Like, I want. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I want people who need to be good at their jobs. I need them to be in it for the love also because. Please don't half-ass my surgery. <laughs> yeah, please. Let's, that's, that, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about just your passion for it and everything, what is your, like, absolute dream puppet project if you could do anything at all? Oh, um, well, I'll tell you, like I'm in the cast of Little Shop of Horrors off Broadway right now. That That is a literal dream project. Like I'm living that dream. Aside from like the fact that we're not actually performing at this exact moment, that show is was like working with people that I love, performing a really good show with puppets that are really well built and 
well well designed with and like just having a blast on stage that that's the dream and where everybody's like really excited to be there the audience included but and like the performers are all really playing on stage and like everybody's going for it that's a dream as a puppet designer i've always wanted to do you know like disney's all about adapting all their movies for the stage right mm-hmm. um it's like the whole trend so i'm getting ready for them to adapt fantasia and to call me up because I would love to design and, and build and like perform the puppets for Fantasia because it's like, it would be such a great opportunity to incorporate so many different styles of puppetry to work with people that work in those styles and who are like really, really great at what they do in those styles and to work on a large scale. So that a lot of people can see it, but in the theater so that, you know, you get that immediate reaction and, and to work in classical music, which I have always had a soft spot in my heart for classical music. And I really love symphonic music and like being a part of that, being inside that is thrilling. Uh, so that seems like there's there's so much possibility that could happen with that show. I think it could be really cool. If you can talk Disney into making this happen, will you please let me know? I want front row tickets. Opening oh gosh, night. Yeah. Oh I God, want that to everybody. be my first everybody. Broadway show. I loved that, like just to see that. It uh, would be so good. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing like Sorcerer's Apprentice in a Broadway house with like water pouring down everywhere and like you know a puppet Mickey like trying to get these you know hundreds and hundreds of broom puppets all? I think it's it would just be well, so. We, cool. we need to call Disney. Well, maybe you need to call Disney. They probably won't answer if I call, but I would love to see this happen. <laughs> Me too. So so obviously we we. We know you have connections, and Fantasia is going to happen. We'll call, we'll call it Fantasia twenty twenty two. It's only a matter of time. So it's only a matter of time. So, what is Puppet Kitchen, and where did the idea for Puppet mm-hmm. Kitchen come from? So, Puppet Kitchen is the company that I run. That is a a home for professional puppetry. Puppet Kitchen puts uh, producers uh, and productions who are interested in puppetry together with builders, designers, performers, directors, teachers, coaches of puppetry that brings those people together. Uh, my typical clients are, um, it could be a commercial that's calling up and saying, hey, we got this thing and we need this, you know, we need this weird creature uh, that kind of looks like a bear, but it's kind of an ant, but it also has these weird things. And it does this, it does X, Y, and Z. And we need it that totally sounds like how I describe things and need people to make for yeah, me. That's pretty much how our conversation, that's like, that's my client conversations. I'm like, okay, great, great. When do you need it? And they're like, well, we need it really fast. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, and then I figure out, then I like get in contact with all the people who might make, like make that come together. I'm, I'm the lead designer on all the puppet kitchen projects. Uh, I also project, I like bring, I like make the teams. So I, I would bring together the builders and if they need performers, uh, if they need a puppet director, or puppetry director work with them. I could either go in and do that or um, bring in somebody that can do that um, or wranglers or, you know, coaches or whatever. So we kind of make that happen. The idea for Puppet Kitchen, this was a company that um, was started with my uh, by myself and two of my other colleagues, Emily DeCola and Michael Schupach, back in 2008. Uh, and we had been colleagues in the puppetry community uh, for a couple of years and working with each other on various projects. And then we we got a space, a studio space in the East Village that had been a industrial kitchen. 
Um, it was only about 250 square feet, but, but the fact that it was like the Lower East Side Girls Club was baking cookies there before we moved in. And so there, it actually like works really great um, for making puppets because you have running water, you have like an area with ventilation where the stoves used to be so that we could do spray paints and, and toxic glues and stuff. And it was like this great central location in the East Village. Um, and we were hiring each other over and over. And we were like, oh, we should just we should just be a company. And we'll just make a company. And again, uh, you know, puppeteers are not that creative. So we like, we were in a kitchen and we were making puppets. So we were like, oh, we'll be Puppet Kitchen. <laughs> I was totally waiting for some crazy, crazy story. And you're like, yeah, we're making puppets in a kitchen. And I was like, well, there it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. It's not any more mysterious than that. But I will say, like, when we started the company, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, for Pete's sakes, we were three puppeteers, like now, and now we were entrepreneurs. Now we were business owners. <laughs> we were like, what is a business? Okay. <laughs> Trying to figure it out. But I will say that like, we actually got, had a lot of success figuring it out by, I don't want to call role play, but like, we were like, oh, we're in a kitchen. I guess that makes us the chefs. And we're like, oh, we are kind of the chefs. Cause like, we are the ones who are like coming up with the ideas for the dish, which is like a new thing that no one's ever had before. And then we would hire people who were good at a particular thing, like a costumer. That's kind of like a, like a saucier or like we'd uh, hire, you know, someone that's good with woodworking. That's kind of like the, the pastry chef. And we'd bring them in to like, help us create this thing, help us create this thing that would then go out the door and, and be a part of this unique event. So it was like, oh, okay, we can kind of think of ourselves as chefs. That kind of helps. We called ourselves the head chefs for for a long time. We we're like, yeah, okay, that kind of helps us find our way in this new in this new role that we that we I'm are. Just in. imagining the puppets in the kitchen yelling "Yes, chef!" every time you were trying to do something. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, no, too many movies. Maybe. Yes, chef, right behind you, chef. <laughs> oh, I, I'm never gonna <laughs> not imagine puppets running a kitchen. Um, so, so what are the different jobs yeah. in the puppet industry? Um, well, at Puppet Kitchen, for example, there's puppet designers who are the ones there. I mean, often that's also character design, um, but you can work just as puppet designer for, for a while uh, or as your thing. Puppet builder is a totally separate thing where you take those designs and you make them into a, an object. There are puppeteers who are the ones that bring those objects, to, they're, they're the ones who are acting through those objects. Um, a puppet director is a little like a choreographer for dancers, uh, but for puppeteers. So the puppet director will kind of be the in-between uh, between the the, per, the show's director and the puppeteers. And their job is to look at the production uh, from a puppetry perspective to make sure that the puppets are, are used to their fullest and to make sure that the scene is that the director's vision is realized in, in the best way. And so the puppeteers just have to work, focus on acting and the um, director just has to focus on the bigger picture. And like the puppet director can think of, you know, the um, more detail oriented stuff. Um, there's also puppet wranglers, which is a super important job, especially on a, on a television shoot or film shoot. And a puppet wrangler is a little bit like a stylist for a puppet. Um, where they are in charge of prepping puppets for uh, upcoming scenes. Like if a puppet needs something in their hand, like I, I hate to break the magic here, but some puppets can't actually close their hands. 
So they need props and things pinned or glued into their hands prior to the shot. Wranglers are responsible for like getting the right puppet to the puppeteer for that scene. Wranglers are responsible for any like maintenance and upkeep uh, on the puppets on set. They're responsible for making sure the puppets look their best on camera or um, puppet wranglers for a stage show. Again, make sure that the any costume changes that need to be done on the puppets are done in time or that the right puppets are where they need to be or that they're stored correctly or, you know, they're like in charge of sort of more physical aspects of the puppet. Okay. Puppets wear costumes? Oh, yeah, of course. I thought that was just like what what they are is just like what they are. I didn't know that they could like change their clothes. That's so cool. Well, yeah. And actually there are – we work with a bunch of costume designers who have – a lot of expertise specifically making pup- making puppet costumes because it really changes how you build your costume if it's going to go on a puppet. Like a lot of times um, it's much easier to put a puppet's shirt on by taking the puppet's arms off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not necessarily something you can do with an actor. You can't really, you can't necessarily like pull the shirt over the puppet's head like you would a person. So instead you like, take the puppet's arms off and like put it on from the underside and like put the puppet's arms back on. If you're making costumes for a marionette, you might have to build in extra movement into the costume so that it doesn't restrict the movement of the puppet. So yeah, so some, some puppets do wear costumes and would need a separate costumer. Fun fact of the day, huh? Fun fact of the day. There's a lot of different jobs in puppetry. And again, a lot of them are like jobs in the entertainment industry in general. And some people have specializations or in working with puppets, with puppets in particular. Okay. And when you, you said that like puppet designers and puppet builders are different, do you have designers that build their puppets too? Or is it just like a, no, I don't do that kind of thing? You will sometimes find that, but it's pretty rare actually. And I think some of it has to do with how people get into puppetry in general. It's, I think both of those jobs uh, improve the other job. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like if you're going to be an architect, it helps to be on on the job site building houses and knowing what that process is like mm-hmm. so that you know how to design houses that can be better built by those people or like better built on site by you, right? And if you're a builder, you know about how things go together so you can also design things sometimes in a more efficient way, sometimes in a way that just like will last longer. Mm-hmm. So it helps. And a lot of times for puppeteers, I know this is true for me, like it's just part of wanting to experience everything in the in the medium. So you're like, oh, well, I need a puppet. I want to perform with a puppet. So I need a puppet. So I'm going to build a puppet, which means I have to design it because I'm the only person here. Once you get into larger operations and large organizations like at the Henson shop, um, there are people who just build and they just get the designs from someone else and they build those designs. And there are people who just do the designs. There are people who just wrangle and people who just perform and don't necessarily do that stuff for the production. Okay. Yeah, but it takes all it takes all kinds, really. I was looking at your Puppet Kitchen website and I noticed that puppets are expensive. <laughs> are they though, really? Okay, are they though? <laughs> How much do you would you say an average? I don't know what an average puppet would be, but like an average puppet. Well, that's the costs. kicker, right? And what makes them so expensive? Is it the time and all that stuff? Or? Yeah. So the kicker is there, there isn't really an average puppet. Right. Especially with Puppet Kitchen. Like, we are creating a brand new thing 
from scratch just for you for your production. There are a wider range of puppet pricings with other companies that are building a lot of the same puppet over and over and over. Right. And I think that's just the economics of scale of any kind of operation. Right. You build a million of a thing and it will cost way less than if you build five of them. And there are some good puppets out there that you can like the folk monist puppets that you see in like a museum shop, like a natural history museum shop or something like little woodland creatures puppets. They're great. We've worked with the folk monist people and they make really, really good, uh, inexpensive, like first puppets or like puppets that you could use or you could find anywhere. So we kind of have general ballparks that we would that we would suggest our clients think about when they're starting to think about puppets that kind of relate to how big the puppet is, how many puppeteers it needs, or how fine the detail is on it. In general, if we're creating a new character for camera that's like we're starting from scratch or we're matching an existing property and we want to like really make sure like like a puppet that we make of your mascot looks exactly right. Those puppets range between $4,000 and $6,000 each. And um, if we're building a mascot costume or like a a full body puppet, those puppets tend to be in the like $10,000 to $15,000 range or thereabouts. And, you know, they go up from there as they get bigger or as they get more complicated. Um, And a lot of people think like a lot of people's first impression of that is that like, oh, we must be really using really expensive materials. In all honesty, like the the material is a pretty small fraction of the cost of the puppet. Really what it is, is the labor, like the specialized labor. Like we're, especially at Puppet Kitchen, like we work with people that are the right builders for your particular, specific for your production. And we're working with builders that know how to build that kind of puppet. And again, like, we built we try and build each puppet three times before it's presented because that ends up actually being a much better puppet a much better tool to use during the production than if we sort of make something if we just kind of cobble something together and give it to you the most expensive time for a production is like in front of the camera like on set days you we want to build something that will get out of people's way so you can get great performances right away when you're on set because that's the expensive time. So, you know, we try and work with our clients so that they really, you know, we we are designing a custom object for them and we're really creating a, you know, a new character for them. It's a craftsmanship kind of thing. It's yeah. not like an assembly line, whatever, anything like that. But I just never thought I I, I mean, I guess, honestly, I've never thought about puppets this much until I started <laughs> researching to talk to you. But I never really thought a puppet would cost more than my car, you know? Well, I was like, holy I mean, cow. And I don't have a dinky little car. Yeah, well, just know, I guess that's also like, but that's also like the kind of, I mean, there's lots of your kind of car, right? Yeah. And if you were just going to build one of those cars from scratch, oh my right? Did you ever see that? Did you ever see that um, YouTube series that's the guy that makes things totally from scratch, like make anything from scratch. Like his first project that was, he wanted to make a toaster from scratch, right? So he like mined the metal, melted down the ore to make the heating elements, to like make the wires and like shape the thing. And like, if you're making one toaster, <laughs> that's Holy an expensive crap. toaster. It's probably like the most expensive toaster ever. Yeah. Or like if you grow the crops to make one sandwich, like that's an expensive sandwich. Um, and it probably seems like way more money that you would, I mean, it's more money than you ever want to spend on a sandwich. But like, if you're, if you're making a, a wedding dress, that is like a really special thing that is custom made for you, 
to perfectly fit your body and your and your aesthetic that you have on this day that you want to be like a really special day and you really want it to like accentuate you and really bring you out these puppets are not more expensive than like than wedding dresses often are you know what i mean Absolutely. And I mean, if you're going to get quality work, I would rather pay for a quality thing one time than pay yeah. for a crappy thing five times, you know? Yeah, exactly. That, that's, what, that's what we work with. I just had no idea that they were like <laughs> that, but I, had no, I didn't really know so much went into it either. Yeah. How long does like a puppet last? Does it last like decades or like just a, how, does it depend on how well they're taken care of? Like when we're creating a new puppet, we work with that client. To, that's one of the sliders, right? How long does it need to last at its current at, a, at its current quality, right? If you this the puppets we built for the San Diego Zoo needed to have a three year warranty, and they needed to be in heavy rotation, in contact with the public, outdoors for three years, like every day, two seasons per year for three years. Like that's a lot of use. That's a very different design for a puppet than if we're making. Uh, a shadow puppet that gets used for a weekend of shows and has to, it has to last through rehearsals and that performance. And then that's it. Like that puppet itself might last longer than that. And depending on what it's built out of, like the wear and tear might be different, but um, they can last a really long time. Some of the puppets we have are made out of completely synthetic materials and they will last forever. (laughs) Some of them will break down. Some of them will degrade. Like famously, a lot of the Muppets that were made kind of in the golden years of, of the uh, Muppet Show and Sesame Workshop, they're made out of a type of foam that breaks down in contact with UV light and just in contact with the air and breaks down and turns into like literally turns into dust and what puppeteers call toast because you would so you would like reach your hand up into this beloved character and just dust would fall out. <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. I was gonna say that sounds devastating. Yeah, it's just they just disintegrate. But on the same on the same token, like so, you have to be kind of careful with that because to people that love and cherish these these objects as characters, that can be really hard to see. That could be you know like seeing a dead person. To a puppeteer or to somebody in the in the puppetry world, like that's a tool, you know. So it's like seeing a rusty saw. It's like yes, that's a shame, but also it can be restored. It can be repaired. Like we can refurbish that. We can, it's just foam and fabric. Like the character isn't the stuff. The character is the performance and, and the the performance is in the audience's mind. Like the performance is in the performer's mind and the audience's mind. Like that's, that's the character. It's not the things, it's not the materials. Good. It's not the, it's not the stuff. And I, that's sort of how I, that's how I, sort of how I feel about it. So like, I kind of have a cavalier attitude towards puppets sometimes because it's like, oh, well, I'll just set this down or I can just throw, throw this down. But I know that it's because I've built them and like they can handle it and like it's fine. It's like, it's just a tool. And people that have seen me operating this, you know, beautiful character are like, oh, no, no, oh, no, no, don't, don't, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> but it's fine. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Am I right, Jay? Oh, oh, man. I... <laughs> <laughs> I want more puppets in my life. <laughs> Don't you judge me over there. <laughs> she doesn't get it. Oh my god, and Fantasia on Broadway. Ugh. I'm telling you, start spreading the word. That's how we'll get it out. We'll start a we'll start a Twitter campaign. And this needs to happen with Eric right at the helm. And it needs to and because it's gonna be amazing. 
I think it's as easy as that. I totally got you on Twitter, but we only have like 80 followers. So I don't know how much help I'll be, but I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But speaking of things that you have made. Yeah. Yes, future yeah. Tense Fantasia 2022. It's going to mm-hmm. be epic. I'm wearing a raincoat mm-hmm. that's going to be wild. So <laughs> getting way too wound up. So what is Meeting Monster and how does that Oh, work? yeah. Oh, my gosh. Meeting Monster is so fun. This is the new service that Puppet Kitchen uh, provides where you can uh, you can book a five or ten minute uh, monster to to pop into your Zoom uh, conference call or your like your company you know, corporate conference call or um, you know, like your family call or whatever that people are doing now these days. And it's really fun. It's just like it's a way to kind of like bring some levity into uh, into where people are gathering these days. I really wish I had a need in my life for a Zoom conversation just to have one. <laughs> it's really fun. We've done a bunch of them so far. And uh, the idea actually came from, you know, I was doing some work with IBM. I was doing some industrial videos for their marketing team. And they had me create a character and build the puppet for them. And I played this character who was part of some videos that was like explaining parts of their marketing um, strategies or whatever, and then started doing interviews with various department heads uh, around IBM. And and this was all just internal videos and stuff, but it was so fun. And we were having such a great time just like getting people to talk to this puppet and like it and getting it all on camera. It was really, really great. And then when uh, lockdown came in, we had a couple meetings over uh, WebEx or Zoom and I was like, this is great. This is super easy. What a great thing. And then I was like, if people are zooming a llama into their conference call, like they should be able to zoom a puppet. That'll be way more fun. And it definitely is. It's great because, it, you know, like the puppet just drops in, like it can deliver a birthday message or I've done like a, like setting up somebody to announce that they're a new parent. And then, you know, we like make some jokes and like have a little fun and then like I'm out of there. It's great. It's really, really fun. I'm just loving this, especially knowing you know, that Meeting Monster is like the senior vice president oh, yeah. of fun <laughs> at, at IBM. I mean, it's crazy to think of like a puppet giving a present. I, I may have the Meeting Monster come and just do a meeting for me because I'm tired of meetings. And that he'd probably be much more fun. It's pretty. It's pretty good. I need this in my life. In fact, I think we're. I'm going to conference call you. Meeting Great. Monsters. Guy. I mean, it's it really is. It really is fun, and it's just a little bit of silliness. And I feel like. I mean, I wish you could see the the people's faces light up when a monster comes into their Zoom meeting and is like, you know, the character's like this kind of sassy New York, you know, no nonsense monster. It's so fun. Uh, people are just, people just have a great time. And then y'all are bringing in a little bit of like happiness and kind of a yucky dark time too. So I'm sure that really does help. Yeah. I mean, I know it was a solid six months. I think I left my house twice. It, it I get yeah. sick inside of my house. So I'm sure that that fun, I watched the thing on your um, website and I was just laughing. Like I watched it, I think, three yeah. times. And I just think that's so awesome. <laughs> that. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm i happy that you uh, that we're getting the word out. It's The more this picks up, like we're going to have more, uh, we'll have different characters that you can choose from and... You can customize if you want to do like a VIP meeting monster, you know, we can work out like what you want to, you want to do like a team building exercise or like you want to do like we can we can do all of these cool things for uh, for your conference calls. 
That is so cool. I've, I need to hire people to work for me so I can have a conference call. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'm just conference calling with myself. That's no fun. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm almost, I feel like I have no words. I'm just so excited still. I'm so, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today for real. Oh, I'm, of course. This has been such a joy. And I have one more question that has absolutely nothing to do with puppets. Um, I have this theory in life that you can tell a lot about people by the way they eat an Oreo. And Jay made fun of me when I told him this. So now I'm doing science, okay? I'm just – every time we interview people, I ask this. Are you a twister or a dunker? Or do you just eat it like whole, like a sandwich? Okay. Well, the short answer is that I I would prefer to dunk. Okay. I – would like to think of myself as someone who has a uh, large range in terms of Oreo eating. Sometimes I'll do the twist and lick, put it back together, dunk, so I get the best of all worlds. There you um, go. Sometimes if I'm feeling a little saucy, I'll twist it, eat all the filling, put it back together, eat just the cookie. That's kind of like a monster way to do it. Uh, sometimes I'll just like, sometimes I'll eat them by, I'll, I'll eat them by the sleeve, you know, just like, how just mindlessly go for the Oreo. Um, when I, in the, <laughs> we used to play, we used to play a game with Oreos called the face game. Do you know how to play this? I don't, but I need to. Okay. So this is going to be the game that you and you and Jay can play after we get off the phone. Um, <laughs> so you take an Oreo. Do you have Oreos in the house? Of course you do. Right. And what you do is you, you balance it on top of your forehead. Okay. You put it like right above your eyebrows. And you balance it. And then on the count of three, you say, one, two, three, go. The person that can get that cookie into their mouth without using their hands is the winner. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to need us to there's a lot of There's a lot of eyebrow wiggling. There's a lot of nose twitching. There's a lot of mouth exercises, shall we say. And you get that. You move that cookie slowly down your face. And then you get it in your, in, into your mouth. It is a it is an excellent game and everybody looks stupid doing it and it's great. I love it. I hope you're ready to be tagged on Instagram of me trying to do that. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, that just made me excited. Jay um eats the Oreos like just takes a bite out of it like a psychopath and that's what started yeah. all. <laughs> I also eat the entire package as one serving. All right, let's not get crazy. I mean, yeah, if you eat them by yeah, if you eat them by this that's when I eat them by the sleeve as I just kind of I just kind of go for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. As you I said. think there's something to be said for, for consuming the cookie as, you know, as the, as the designers intended. But I think the designers were fully aware that dunking it is a good idea. Um, so like, I think, I think, I don't think there's a wrong way. Do you guys, are you guys also aware of the Tim Tam slam? Do you know about Tim, you know how to Tim Tam slam? The what? You know what a Tim Tam is? I have no idea. Okay, so they are available in the States uh, more readily now than they used to, but because um, there's an Australia, used to be an Australian cookie, used to be only get in Australia. But imagine a chocolate Oreo, like chocolate filling between two chocolate cookies, completely dipped in chocolate. And, but they're like, they're like brick shaped. Okay. Okay. And then for a Tim Tam Slam, you, you bite off opposite corners uh, on the, on the long end one corner and then all the other on the other side bite it off and then you use the tim tam to to drink like as a straw to suck up a liquid of your choice could be you know, it could be an irish coffee could be milk could be um 
straight Bailey's. I don't know what you want to do, but you use it as a straw. And then when the liquid gets to your mouth, then you pop the whole thing in your mouth. And that's the Tim Tam Slam. I'll tell you, it's like a one. It's like the it's like some next level Oreo dunking technique. And I, I highly recommend it. I absolutely love this. I hope you're ready for a new best friend because I think we just became best <laughs> friends. You have all the best ideas. <laughs> I'm just, this is not my original ideas. I <laughs> learned, you know, I learned that one because I have fam- like my, my older brother lives in Australia. Uh, so he taught me about Tim, Pam, Tim Tam Slams. My former business partner, Michael, he taught me the face game with Oreos. So like, these are not my ideas, but like they're joyful. So like we need to spread them. We need yes. to like get the, get more people playing. It needs to be a thing. Yeah, but we're going to be a team, make it a thing. I don't know. I'll come up with a good hashtag for it. <laughs> I mean, Tim Tam Slams definitely are a thing. Let's let's be. I'm getting a box of Tim Tams and a bottle of Bailey's. It's happening. It's it's a delicious combination. (laughs) I love it. You just like took my life to the next level there. (laughs) Then mission accomplished. (laughs) The Instagram's going to be lit. Hello. This is how you get all those likes. Oh my goodness! I think that's all the questions I had. Did you have any other ones, Jay? Besides about Fantasia. (laughs) Then no. (laughs) <laughs> that's great i love it thank you so much seriously i'm so excited i was such a like i think i jumped in my living room and i facetimed jay and he was like what is wrong with you whenever we set up this interview so thank you so much for talking to us and answering questions i know it's probably boring you're like why don't you know these things but it was just so cool are you kidding this is my favorite thing i love talking to people about this this is like so i am so excited for you both of you to be discovering the world of puppetry for the first time like i did it like it just there's so much goodness there there's so much there's so much uh depth there it, it's just like i'm so excited for you to be part to like be to be introduced to this world it is it's exciting and i'm serious when i finally make it to new york city i'm gonna send you a message i'm gonna be like yo show me the puppet district <laughs> we'll, do we'll do it it's gonna happen definitely Oh, absolutely. I, I'm super excited, and I definitely need to make a trip mm-hmm. into New York. And since you enjoyed hanging out with us so much, don't forget to subscribe, like us on all the things, give us that five-star review. So we will be back next Tuesday to hang out, question everything, and maybe learn a little something along the way. 